0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning, everybody. My name is Martin. I'm one of the elders of Fleet Baptist Church, and it's my privilege and pleasure to be able to share the message with you all this morning. I trust that uh, everyone is keeping well and that you're behaving yourselves. Um, The theme for this morning's message is the church unleashed in power. I want to look at three truths God has revealed in his word, which I hope will help us towards achieving this goal. The three things I want to look at are the authority we have in the name of Jesus, the inspired word of God, and the person of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear the word authority a lot this morning. It's intentional because I want to sow seeds into your hearts, your barns. I want to sow uh, good seed this morning. So with these three things in mind, turn with me to chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Let's begin by focusing on the words Peter said to the lame man. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It was these 12 words that created a miracle in the legs of this lame man. And it was also a catalyst that attracted the crowds towards Peter and John, giving them both an instant platform to be able to declare the salvation of the kingdom to the Jewish people. When Peter spoke to the lame man in the name of Jesus, it wasn't a magic abracadabra or a religious mantra. Peter was legally addressing the lameness in this man. Let me explain. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven On earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul confirms this in his letter to the Philippians, where he says, Have this mind. These passages in Matthew and in Paul's letter to the Philippians, they not only set out God's mandate for the church, which is to go out into all the world and make disciples, but they also reveal an amazing truth, that every name which is named is subject and bound to the name of Jesus. Every disease known or unknown to man, the name of Jesus is above that name. Every stronghold, fear, failure, rejection, and so on, the name of Jesus is above that name. Whether it's angelic, human, or demonic, all are subject to and bound to the name of Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, we read, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is such a powerful passage of scripture. You can see the influence of God the Holy Spirit shining through every word. I had never seen this before. And when I was preparing this message, I suddenly saw the Holy Spirit just, just, flying at me. is just remarkable. However, here's my point. Jesus has given to the church his authority to use his name. The angelic and the demonic realms know this, but do we actually understand this authority that we have in Christ? This transfer of authority in our world today is recognized in legal terms as the power of attorney. A power of attorney, and I quote, is the authority that is given to another person so as to act on their behalf of the issuer in legal or in any other matters. Let me give you an example of someone who has been given powers to act on behalf of somebody else. A police officer carries a warrant card that reveals his identity and also a warrant badge. A badge which shows to everyone that this police officer has authority to uphold the written law of the land. For us as believers, in a sense, we have been given a warrant card and a badge. One that shows our identity as being in Christ. And secondly, a badge that reveals the authority we have received from heaven to uphold the written word of God over the enemy. This authority in Christ, however, is not a mandate for Jesus to potentially rule, but for him to actually rule in and through us. You and me, Christ's spiritual representatives on the earth. We are ambassadors. Whilst Jesus is in heaven, we represent him on the earth. And as representatives and as ambassadors, we have the whole authority of heaven behind us. Can I stress that it's not a, a, a mandate that we've been given, it's not, a, it's not a political mandate, sorry, that we've been given, but a spiritual mandate. Everything Jesus wants to get done on the earth today, he does it through his spiritual body, which is the church, which is you and me. Let me highlight this by reading from a passage in the book of Luke. Jesus had sent out the 72 disciples to go into every town and place where he was going to visit. And we pick up the narrative after the disciples had returned from their mission. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold... I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name are written in heaven. Jesus sent out his disciples with this command, Behold, I have given you authority. Or, I have given you my power of attorney to do the job. To heal the sick and cast out demons. This same authority has been given to us and it's available for the church to exercise today. God's mandate hasn't changed one bit. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today, it's time to pick up this rod of authority and to exercise it again. So let's take up this rod of authority from off the floor and may each one of us begin to exercise his authority once more. Peter understood this authority he had in Jesus. He knew all the authority of heaven was behind him when he declared to the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as a way of caution, Look at what happens when God's authority is usurped by men who aren't walking in relationship with him, but regardlessly continue to devise their own formula and methods in casting out demons. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It's serious stuff. No relationship with Jesus. No authority. Okay, we've looked at the authority we have in Jesus' name. Let's now go on and look at the second foundational truth, which is the authority of the word of God, also an essential ingredient in the mix if we're going to see God's power released today. We've spoken a lot this morning about authority. The word actually comes from the word author. The authority of any work belongs to the author. So my question is, who is the author of the Bible? There are two passages of Scripture that reveal his identity to us. The first is found in 2 Timothy, and we read, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The second is found in John's Gospel, where Jesus reveals himself to the disciples after his ascension. He says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The author of scripture is clearly revealed in these two passages as the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. So the Bible we hold in our hands today is the document that sets out and highlights to us the transfer of God's authority to the believer. Every sentence inside of it, marked by red ink in some Bibles, is where Jesus reveals and itemizes the legal transfer to the church, you and me. I'm reminded of the event in the Gospels when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. The interesting thing is before Jesus went into the wilderness, it says he went full of the Holy Spirit. But when he came out, it says he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And and during this time in the wilderness where the enemy attacked him and accused him, Jesus never ever sat around a rock and had a discussion with Satan and said, let's try and find a common ground that we can work on. He didn't come at him with philosophical works. No, he came and said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that was his sole uh, ground on which he dealt with the enemy. So if Jesus stood boldly upon the document of God's word during a time of testing in the wilderness, we too, during our times of testing, can be confident in saying, it is written. Why? Because we know the legality of the ground on which we are standing upon, which is the written word of God. It's the truth. The Bible says, the truth will set you free. Nothing else will set you free. The truth will set you free. Let's now take a look at a couple of practical things where the word can influence our lives. Romans 10:17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God's word doesn't immediately produce fruit, but only when we are hearing. Paul is saying to us, if we hear the word of God with an attitude of interest and attention, and with a sincere desire to receive and to act upon it, then faith begins to develop in our hearts. Scriptural faith can be expressed in five short words. Let it be according to your word. These were the words that were spoken to Mary when she was told by the archangel that she was going to have a child who would become the Messiah of Israel. I feel prompted to say here that we may encounter some people who may say to us, how can the Bible be infallible? when we know it was was written by fallible men and women. Psalm 12.6 reveals these wonderful words. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver we find in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The psalmist is giving us a picture of how people would purify metal. They would build a furnace made of clay, light a fire, and then Place in it the metal to be purified. The furnace here represents the human instrument, man, us, you, and me. The fire, which is the Holy Spirit, purifies the silver, which is the message. The Bible, though it came through vessels of clay, weak, fallible, sinful men and women, the psalmist reveals that it's been purified seven times by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example that I hope will help you to appreciate that scripture is indeed inspired in its authorship. Let me introduce you to a Russian-American, a Dr. Ivan Panin, a Harvard man who was fluent in Hebrew, and a brilliant mathematician. Dr. Panin was an agnostic in his thinking, and in the late 19th century, he applied himself purely out of a literary interest to study the scriptures. Just to give you some background on this, in the Hebrew and Greek language, each letter of the alphabet represents a number. In other words, each letter has a numerical equivalent. Dr. Ivan began to read the scriptures in its Hebrew form and his mathematical mind noticed that if the numerical equivalents of the letters were substituted for the letters themselves, a striking repetition of the number seven and multiples of seven stood out. Remember Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, purified seven times. In scripture, the number seven always represents completeness and perfection. Anyway, because of this revelation he had, he abandoned his casual approach to the scriptures and focused more seriously on this discovery. He came then to the logical conclusion through further discoveries that no person could have written the scriptures unless they were inspired by God Himself. Here's a quote from Rick Renner God's presence is actually held inside the scriptures to be unlocked and experienced by those who are willing to dive deep into them. 1 Peter 1.23 says these words, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This inspired word is also seed in our hands. It's so pure in nature, it cannot be destroyed. Or damaged by any external conditions to stop it from producing fruit. The only condition it needs to grow is a good heart, a heart that is ready to accept and to receive and believe it does what it says on the tin. You can sow this seed to your unsaved families, you can sow this seed when you pray. You can sow this seed into every stronghold of your life and into the lives of others. And it will produce a harvest. But in order for the seed to produce fruit, it can't be left dormant in the barns of our hearts. It needs to be sowed because seed is for sowing. So finally we come to the last ingredient, again essential if we're going to see God's power released in our day, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. For the unsaved, when they hear about the Holy Spirit, they think in terms of him being a force or an energy or even a thingy. Maybe some think this way because of the influence of Star Wars has had upon them, where certain odd characters Luke Skywalker on numerous occasions that the force is strong in him, or the power be with him. For others, it's likened to an energy that lies at the base of their spine, which begins to be awakened as they exercise spiritual techniques such as yoga or meditation, helping them to empty their mind of thought so they can connect to the life force that dwells within. However, All of us can understand and relate to the Father and we can relate to the Son. But when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, we tend to struggle. Let me share an important aspect of the Holy Spirit's character that we need to understand and be aware of. The book of Genesis tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The first person of the Godhead we're introduced to, it's not the Father and it's not the Son, but it's the Holy Spirit. When we first come to know God, the first person who contacts us, it's not the Father and it's not the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. In the opening passages of Genesis, it reveals that the Holy Spirit was hovering or fluttering over the face of the waters. This type of action suggests the activity of a bird. When Jesus was baptised by John, as he came out of the water... A dove, the Holy Spirit, descended and rested upon him. A dove will never settle on a bear, tiger, or even on a hyena. He's looking for one kind of nature. And the nature he's looking for is the nature of a lamb. Jesus never grieved the dove, and the dove never flew away. They worked In complete harmony together. If we want to be friends with the Holy Spirit and experience His power in our lives and in the life of the church, we can't be manifesting the nature of a bear, tiger, or hyena. The Holy Spirit will settle on people, the Holy Spirit will not settle, sorry, on people who are angry self-controlled, and continuously fighting each other. No, sir. He will settle on those who are willing to lay down their lives, whose nature has been changed to one of meekness, gentleness, and self-control. For all of us, if we're going to see the power of God's spirit released in the church today, we need to be more lamb-like in our nature and in our behavior to one another. It's a tough ask, I know but well, we have help and our help is the work of the holy spirit in our lives always remember the holy spirit is a person and he can be easily grieved by our behavior and by our actions let me finish this morning's message with this a number of years ago i was in a worship meeting And I just had a time when I was just thinking, during worship, I was just thinking about uh, things. And uh, suddenly, this thought popped into my mind. And it was this. The Word and the Spirit work together. You mix them with faith and you have power. The Word and the Spirit work together. Where the Word is there will be the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, there will be the word because they work in harmony together. When we sow our seed of God's word, the Holy Spirit acts upon that seed. And when we trust that word that we are speaking, that scripture that we are speaking out, then that releases power that we become a conduit that releases the power of God. But we can only operate by using seed that's eternal, seed that doesn't perish, and that's the written word of God. Do we know this written word of God? Have we spent time in the scriptures? Because if we do, we have a weapon in our hands that will defeat the enemy. Father, we thank you for your truth that you've given us, We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. We thank you for his personality and we thank you that, Father, you have given him to us to help us to achieve the goals that we would see the power of your kingdom manifest in the church on earth today. Father, in Jesus' name, may you be blessed. Have a good day.